right, thanks for making me feel right at home. You don't know that my wife and I had a conversation on the way here. I forgot my bottle of water. Um, so uh, thank you. Uh, someone offered to get me a glass of water before I preached, and I always carried one because there were occasions, rare as they were, that I'd get a dry throat after singing and start, <laughs> and I had a hard time stopping. So uh, each, each of you does your part, and even listening to a little whisper like that um, is, can be an answer to prayer or just meet a need that you didn't know uh, was, was even there. Uh, as, as we dig into the word, um, just imagine with me, if you were, you had, had a job, you worked for a bigger employer that was a national chain, and, uh, and, and your particular branch was doing pretty well, and lo and behold, the whole national chain was struggling. And the president and CEO comes out and visits your location and says, hey, you know, we're, we're struggling and we need help. We're trying to figure out what's going right and, and why things are going wrong. And, and in, in fact, your, your division, even though you're just working the floor, uh, your boss said you really seem to be a key component to helping things run smoothly. So we want to commission you to come up to headquarters out east in New York and help us figure things out. And you'll have the full authority of the company and me as the CEO, and uh, we need your help. Will you come? What would you say? What would you think? Another bottle of water, thanks. <laughs> um, what would you think uh, if that happened to you? I mean, how would you feel? Like, move to a big city? I'm just a small town kind of guy. To the headquarters, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a, a worker here. I get my hands greasy and dirty. I don't sit in the office and push a pencil. I couldn't, you know, teach anyone how to run things. Would you feel at all adequate and prepared to step into a role like that? Of course not. But they see something of how God has prepared you to make a bigger difference than you're already making, that can have deep implications across a, a whole network of people. And God wants to do something. Are you willing to step into it? What we see as we turn to Exodus chapter 3 and 4 is an invitation. And it's an invitation to someone God has prepared and God has put in a place, and, and he may look back and say, Me? I, I'm a mess. I'm a failure. You know, I, I kind of had given up on that kind of a life. You want to use me? And yet God invites him in to a plan that we be, begin to realize is way beyond the scope of anything we could have imagined and so much greater in making a difference in people's lives, well beyond even the present time. And, and there is some hesitancy, there is inadequacy, there are all these fears and obstacles standing in the way that aren't easily overcome, but God in his persistence, in the, in the genuine invitation that he offers, doesn't give up quickly knowing he is the right man, the right person for a particular job he needs to make a lasting impact that will reach well beyond the years of his life. Join me as we look at Moses in Exodus 3 and how Moses comes to this point of, of both recognizing his own inadequacies but leaning heavily 
on the all-sufficiency of God as he sees his glory more clearly and leads him to put his trust in him and to step out in obedience to him even when he knows he's not ready for this step. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus 3. Um, I want you to be in the Word. I want you to be uh, interacting with it, not just listening. I want you to be reading it. And and one of the things I've started doing, because uh, it's so important that that the Word of God just becomes a part of your life, is is even, I don't know if you can see my Bible, I like even highlighting and and, uh, writing over words to make them stand out and taking notes in my margins because... Um, you know, so often I'll, I'll take sermon notes and I've handed out outlines for years and I'll probably continue to do that with PowerPoints and stuff, but uh, there's a way even to take some of that with you as you go. And, and that, that as I preach, I want it to come from the Word of God, not just be my thoughts I'm trying to, uh, to, to put onto the Word or into the Word. I want it to come from the Word, so I invite you to dig in with me and read. And I'm actually going to go back to, to verse 23, 24, 25 of chapter 2 to get a little bit more context because it came about, it says, in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God and God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and saw the sons of Israel and took notice of them. This is a big picture setting, the context. God has a plan he's carrying out that is well beyond the life of Moses. It's well beyond his life. In fact, it started all the way back, you could say at creation, where God created a people in his image to live in his presence, and it, it in a way, our sin was a fail. To the point that God had to send judgment on the earth through the flood, and he says, okay, this time we're going to start again, and I'm going, to, I'm going to carry out a redemptive plan. Just as I promised to Eve at the fall, there would be a redeemer, a deliverer, who would crush the head of the serpent. He, I'm going to carry out that plan, but it's going to start with one man. And that was Abraham and his family, his descendants. But he was going to be, and this is in the promise to Abraham, you'll be a blessing to everyone. It wasn't just a, a specific ethnicity. It was for all mankind. And now Moses is being invited into this plan to say, Moses, I need you to step in and to be a part of carrying out my redemptive plan to bring freedom from bondage to the people through whom I want to bring blessing to this whole earth. This is the invitation. And now you zoom in at this particular man, Moses, who was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. Um, God comes to where we're at, when we need it. He, he knows where we've been. He knows Moses' history. He had put Moses there as a special person to grow up in the place. Uh, Moses had been in a time of, of persecution. The Hebrews were numerous. The Egyptians were afraid they would revolt. So in order to, to put them into submission even more, uh, they would kill all the baby boys. And, and in order to save their baby boy's life. Moses' parents put him in the water, in a basket, to spare his life. And lo and behold, the princess of Egypt found him and decided to keep him as his own and raise him. And she needed help, so she sent him back to his mother through, through a divinely inspired connection. I'm going to tell this story way too long, but here's Moses. 
uh, grew up in Pharaoh's household for 40 years, then understood his heritage, wanted to be God's deliverer, and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and says, no way, I am going to take my stand. But did it work? It didn't. And Moses could think, I was a failure. God put me here for a reason. He didn't fulfill that purpose. What good am I? I tried, God. I tried to be your deliverer, but it doesn't always work our way. And it took him 40 years of shepherding sheep till God had prepared his heart to say, you can do it my way. It's not in your adequacy that you're going to succeed and you're going to do great things. It's in my strength. And here he comes. The angel of the Lord now appears to him in a blazing fire in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here I am couple things to note in this invitation. God gets our attention. God gets our attention. He comes to where we're at. He gets our attention and says, are you ready to listen? And Moses, it says then, when the angel Lord appeared, Moses it says, when he saw that Moses had turned aside to look, God called. That he gets our attention. Are we willing to turn aside to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to listen. There's something going on here. You're teaching me something bigger than, than what I have already seen, than what I have already noticed. You need my attention, and you got it. And he displays his glory. He does something, and he draws him in. And when we take time to listen, we see God knows us by name. Moses, Steve, Greg, Brad, Thor, Ryan. I mean, I don't know what your name is, but he knows you by name, and he calls you, and he invites you in. And what he does isn't just say, do this, but he begins to reveal himself. He begins to show us who he is. And as we understand who God is more clearly, we begin willingly to say, oh, I'll step out in obedience. I now know you more of who you are. I'm willing to go because we know God, and he begins to reveal himself. And it says in verse 5, Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. He begins to reveal who he is, his holiness, his greatness, already displayed in the burning bush, which miraculously was not consumed. He begins to put his glory on display. And Moses recognizes this. And when we see more and more of God's holiness, how do we respond? I mean, you go to Isaiah 6. When Isaiah sees the Lord seated on his throne, lofty and exalted, he falls down on his face and he says, Woe is me! For I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. Our response to a holy God so often is to come and say, Whoa, Lord, you're righteous, you're holy, you're, you're, and we learn even more of who God is as we go through this. But Moses responds, and he says, Now this place is holy ground. Uh, Interesting, Stephen, 
as he's being stoned because the Pharisees don't like it that they're disrespecting the temple, man. This is God's holy place. And Stephen's whole sermon is, no, God's holy place is with his people. The church isn't a building, it's us. We are now the living stones in a building block of the, of the, the kingdom of God. Holiness isn't just a place. It's within us as Christ and as God does its work, purifying, cleansing, and, and wants to do that work in others, in each of us. And we stand, we sang. It, holiness is Christ in me. It's not our holiness. It's not my holiness that I stand up here. I stand up here because of Jesus Christ. And I proclaim his name and that he's the one who brings a righteousness, a holiness, a healing, a wholeness that we need. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to live through us and in us. And he says now, he, he, as he invites me, he reveals himself. This Now he says, take off your sandals. I was trying to research. Why in the world take off the sandals? And there's not a consistent answer. There's different ideas. But some say, well, because it's holy. Even the, even the priests in the temple didn't always wear their shoes because it was holy ground. But why? Why? What makes it special? And different reasons. Um, I don't know if there's one in particular, but this is memorable. When you take off your shoes to enter someone's house, it shows respect. There's a level of cleanliness, of taking off the dirt of our everyday life and say, okay, I'm setting myself apart. But, but there's also a, a memorable situation. I mean, this is not something you quickly forget. And have you ever had a foot washing? Like, it's, it's memorable because there's an opening of ourselves, an uncovering of ourselves, even the dirtiest part of ourselves. And as Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he says, I want you to love each other, serve each other, even in, in the dirtiest and the filthiest parts of your life. Stoop down and care for one another. And God does that for us. And now as he begins to reveal not only himself as we listen, he reveals his plan. He says, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I'm aware of their sufferings. They haven't gone unnoticed. You could say, but how many years have they been in suffering and cried out? But was that a part of his plan? Yeah, you go back to Genesis 15 and you read what God told to Abraham. He says, your people will go down to Egypt for over 400 years. 400 years? I mean, God, your clock is kind of slow, isn't it? How many generations went by and, oh, God doesn't answer prayer. God doesn't answer prayer. He doesn't hear us. No, he heard every prayer that was prayed. And I've come down to deliver and bring them up from a land to a land, good and spacious, flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the exact place God promised to Abraham where his foot walked, where he where he promised he was going to carry that out. And behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression which their oppression, which, with which they're oppressing them. And verse 10, now listen, here's the invitation. Come now, and I will send you. God sets the stage. He appears, his glory, he listens, he hears, he reveals himself, he, he reveals his plan. He, he then says, okay, come now. You, I am sending you. Will you step into this? 
The invitation is given for us to be a part of his plan. He leads a person to lead his people to freedom. But he invites us. Notice the direction of all of this encounter. It's God coming to Moses. It's not Moses coming to God and saying, okay, God, I'm here. Use me. Ah, yeah, I'm ready for you. You know, this isn't, this is humbling Moses. He maybe did that after 40 years of being in Pharaoh's palace. God said, this, that's not the way you lead my people. You come with a humility and a grace and a dependence and saying, this is, this is not something I can do alone. Not by strength or by power, but it's by God's spirit that we move forward, stepping into his plan for our lives. Not the other way around. And, and so we see this, even a command come now, the urgency of it, the timing of it, the opportunity, and Moses then replies. And as you see his reply, we see that God empowers despite our reluctance. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who is Pharaoh? I mean, Pharaoh is like the, the president the world's superpower at the time. Not just a president. He's not governed by the people. He is the supreme dictator seen as God himself who is in charge. Big and in charge. He's doing his thing. And, and, and Moses knows that because he grew up in Pharaoh's household. He knows the opposition he'll face. He knows where he's being called. He knows better than anyone because he grew up there. He's no dummy. He's, oh man, Lord, you're calling me to Pharaoh? Like, I'm just a small town hick now. I'm growing up in the backwoods of Midian. I've got a wife and kids. I'm going back there? Who am I? In fact, I've, I've kind of gotten an off with them because I, you know, I killed one of their soldiers. <laughs> uh, maybe even one of the leading soldiers who's in charge of all this i don't know i didn't say but uh goodness but god says this now god says here's moses here's what's important certainly do we ever want to be certain about something i sure do when it comes to something like this certainly i will be with you and this shall be the sign that it is i who have sent you when you've brought the people out of egypt you shall worship god at this mountain God gives a sign. And how many of us need a sign? I mean, there's times we're like, okay, God, ooh, you better confirm this. And it's kind of funny sometimes how he does that. Um, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. So he goes on and says, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. Say to them, here's the message. The God of your father has sent me to you. So he's being sent. He's not coming on just on his own accord. They may say to you, oh, I'm sorry. Now they may say, to me. What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, again, revealing more about himself. He gives him a sign. He gives him more of himself. I am who I am. And all I got to say is, what more do we need? The inf I mean, this I am who I am. He is the self-existent one. This is how God now is his personal name. Yahweh comes from this. And in many words, I mean, this word is undefined. It's like breathing, the breath of life, breathing in and breathing out. It's like, yod, hey, vav, hey. Um, 
I think, yeah, anyway, I heard a speaker at Okoboji share that, and I'm like, wow, it's like every time we breathe, his name is coming in and out. He is the self-existent one. None of us can exist without him giving us life and breath and being. He says, this is who I am. I am who I am. I am the God of Moses, or of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus, he's on that and says, he's not the God who was the God of Abraham, Isaac. He is the God. He's not a was-been or a has-been. He is always in existence. He goes on to say, forever. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name. The other significance about God giving Moses his name in Egyptian thought, when you knew the God's secret name, you had the authority of that God. And so the Pharaoh knew the God's secret name, and so he came with the authority of that God. And uh, what's interesting, though, is they were kept secret. You don't tell them, but when you have that God's name, you have his authority. Now, but Moses is saying, you go tell my people, this is my name. He's giving him his authority, but he's passing that authority on. You are my people. You're my family. You come with my authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. These words sound familiar? Go now. Make disciples of every nation. We get authority from the one who has that authority. And he goes on then to say, not only do I give you myself, do I give you my authority, but I give you a promise. There will be a team. Go gather the elders of Israel together and say to them. And he goes down, verse 18, they will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders will come to the king of Egypt. How many of us need a team with us when we go to a task like that? Amen? Amen. God's provision continues. Then he goes on down, and he says, oh, there will be problems. God predicts these problems. He says, verse 19, I know the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. Oh, thanks, God. I wanted a task like that. You know, they're not going to go unless they're compelled. He knows there will be problems, but he promises his provision. Again, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles which I shall do in the midst of it, and after that he will let you go. And not only will I provide you with, with my presence and my power, I'll grant this people favor in the sight of Egyptians. When you go, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house for articles of silver and of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, and you will plunder the Egyptians. Does God want to provide? He does. Is it going to be easy? No. And in fact, as Moses, he still is overwhelmed by the obstacles. And he says then in chapter 4, verse 1, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. I mean, our hesitancy, our reluctance continues to come, but God displays his power then to Moses. He says, what is in your hand? And he says, a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from it. I mean, these things are dangerous. The Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by the tail. Would you ever grab a snake by a tail? Woo, what's going to happen? Ah, yeah. I've done that before, just to a garter snake. It's kind of like, whoa, get away from me. Like, so what do you do? You grab him right behind the head. You know, grab it by the tail. Why? Okay, one of the things I learned this week is the snake is, is actually on Pharaoh's headdress, his official Authority headdress. The snake is up there because it represents the goddess of protection and whatever. And, and so when, when Moses, again, he sees the obstacle, Pharaoh standing in his way, and God says, you throw your staff down, it becomes a snake. You are in control of that snake. I give you my power. You are in control. You're going to take the snake by its tail. 
and I'm going to have my way. I am who I am. That they may believe the Lord, the God of their fathers, has appeared to you. Now, put your hand in your bosom. He put it in, and he took it out. And, and there's, a, there's a picture um, of leprosy. Um, look at these hands. Oh, they're gross. I mean, this is no, this is no cheap you know, dog and pony show. This is God showing his power over, over nature, over, um, I mean, just leprosy isn't something that happens quick. It happens over time. It eats away at you. Uh, it's, it's nasty. But God has power. He says, okay, stick it back in and pull it out, and it's clean. He says, I have power over all these things. Some say leprosy is, is a humbling thing. It humbles even the most proud. Remember Naaman, the Syrian? who had leprosy. I mean, it humbles even those who, who are big and strong and you get it and it's like, oh, crud. It's kind of like in our day. I mean, we have cancer and it humbles the greatest of men and there is no cure. You're just stuck with it. Even if you're the bigwig of a company, even if you're the president, even if you're whatever, you get this. It's humbling. I have the power to humble the greatest of men. If they will not believe these signs. There's one more. You get some water from the Nile and you pour it on the ground and it will become blood. That even the goddess of, of protection who protects Egypt can't even protect her own people, her own river, her own homeland. I will show you my power. But Moses, still, even though God is revealing himself in so many ways, his provision, his person, his power, his presence, Moses still says, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent. Another excuse, another reluctance, another stubbornness, do I say? Our eyes are still closed to say, God, I still am not looking at you clearly. I'm still seeing these things in front of me. He says, please, Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither recently nor in time past. I've failed before, God. I've tried these things. Okay, maybe not exactly, but, you know, in our mind, I've tried he says, who has made your mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Our biggest reason for walking in obedience isn't us, it's God. Where is our focus? Where is our attention? And we see God extends his grace despite our stubborn hearts. We're slow to grasp the consequences even of our decisions and our motives and what guides us. And the anger of the Lord burns against Moses. And sometimes we even see we, we don't understand how, how sometimes how slow we can be. And he finally says, is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks fluently. Moreover, behold, he's coming out to meet you. God is going over backwards to help Moses embrace this calling. I'm now giving you someone as your right-hand man to walk with you through this. And, and some of these excuses, he can help you overcome. He's eloquent. He can speak. He's even coming to meet you. Now, step up and go. Does the anger of the Lord ever become a motivating factor in our life? Because if we see God clearly, not only do we see his holiness and his grace, we also see there's a side of him that as his patience, as his plan, it's going to continue on with or without us. Are we willing to step in 
or are we going to be stubborn? We have a choice. And, and Moses finally departs and he says, please let me go, verse 18, that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. He's identifying it. These are my brethren. I'm not going to forsake them. These are my people. God has a plan for me. I'm going to go. And he, again, begins to see more clearly. Transformation occurs in our lives as God's glory captivates our attention. It's God's all-sufficiency that is what's important, not our inadequacy. Are we willing to abide in him, to rest in him, to walk with him, to allow him to speak, to work, to live through us? That's tough. Because so often we see ourselves and our inadequacies and our failure and our, you know, you go down the list. What's bigger to us? Is it, is it God and his provision, his person, his plan, his power? He has now given us, this is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to see that the power of God that is at work in you, the very spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he's yours. And Jesus is now sitting in all authority at the right hand of God over everything. And he's given this now, given as the head to the church. He's yours. You're now living stones as brothers, co-heirs with Christ. This is a mystery available now, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. I mean, I mean Ephesians, I just love. He's, he goes on in chapter 3 and prays, if you'd understand how much God loves you, you'd be filled up to all the fullness of God in Christ. And he'd do way more than you'd ever ask or think. Way more. So, walk now in a manner worthy of this calling. Step into it. One of the verses in the discussion guide is from uh, 2 Corinthians 3. And this verse is probably what has compelled me to move this towards this message. Is, is the verse, and even in my life, is as we see the glory of the Lord more clearly, with unveiled faces, we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. This is what God wants to do in each of us, is to, to, for us to walk in his presence, to see his glory, and, and to abide in that and to be transformed by it. And we begin to live that out. It's from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's allowing him to work, to lead, to guide. And it comes... Um, as we allow him to do this work. And he has a plan, he has a purpose, he has a way, and he wants to do that in us as his church and through us to those who are in bondage around us. And uh, there's some verses from 2 Corinthians, uh, in, even in chapter 5, that call us now as ambassadors of Christ, as ministers of reconciliation, to step into that responsibility. These are opportunities we have, not just Moses back then, not just the disciples when Jesus said, all authority is given to me, now go, it's now being extended to us, to the Corinthians of that day, but now to, to the Gentiles, to people later on as, as disciples, as followers of Christ, to say, are we going to step in? And one of the things that, ha that happens isn't alone. We need a team. And um, I know over the past six weeks um, that the elders have been leading discussion groups. And it's a new thing, whether it went well or not. Um, it seemed to be going good enough. I, I want to see this continue for now. And, and then together to seek the Lord's leading of how we can continue to grow together as a family. Because the greatest growth doesn't just happen 
as I stand before you and, and speak to you, it's just as my family knows me deeply, we get to sharpen each other and encourage each other and pray for each other. Uh, and, and we are a spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ, that want to know each other deeply, to care for each other, to build each other up. And it doesn't just happen in a big group setting. It has to happen in those times where we can open up and, and get more personal and go deeper. And so we're going to continue it for now in the future. Um, and this is part of me coming and, and presenting myself as a pastor. I want to say this is a key part of a church, of being the church, being God's people. As we, as we love one another and, and reveal ourselves, not so that we can criticize and judge, but so that we can really press in and care for and build up and walk through life together. And so... Uh, we're going to continue that, and it's not just me as a pastor knowing all of you, which honestly is impossible for me to know all of you at that level. Um, but to equip, pastors are gifted to equip um, the saints for the work of the service, to build up shepherds within this body to care for and shepherd. And next week I'm going to touch on that, this call to shepherd God's flock. And it's not just my responsibility um, it, it's me beginning to equip and instill these responsibilities in, in your leaders, but even in each of you as you embrace what God is equipping you for and the work he's called you to. Um, and so hopefully through groups that can happen better. All right, so I've talked enough. I've gone over. And unfortunately, if you get to know me, that's something I'll be held accountable to. Amen? Uh, and uh, so we do, uh, and I think they said about 20 minutes of group time, you don't have to take long, but connect, and where the Lord's leading, if you got these discussion questions, great, if you didn't, we can hand some out, um, and you won't get through all of them, pick a couple of them, and use it as a building block to go from there, thanks.